You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right, well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up. We're in John chapter 6. We're going to be uh, looking at perhaps one of the more uh, memorable miracles uh, in the life of Jesus Christ, and it's recorded in uh, uh, three different Gospels, but we're going to be working through, as we have been, through the Gospel of John. It's the miracle where Jesus walks on water. So how many of you guys remember that? Could you raise your hand? Those of you who've been a part of a Bible church or a teaching ministry or just studied the Scriptures, perhaps you recall that. But the life of Jesus is pretty spectacular. The entire timeline of our world is divided by his birth uh, in the event of Jesus Christ. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at it, though, through kind of the lens of seeing how um, Jesus Christ meets us in the middle of a storm. If you recall, in this event, uh, Jesus has already, he's fed the 5,000, which is really more like 15 to 20,000 with women and children. Um, the massive crowds were forming. Uh, he dismisses his disciples. They get into a boat. They travel across the sea, and he is there alone. He prays to the Heavenly Father, and we're going to look at that a little bit more. And then a massive storm hits, and it terrifies the disciples, and then Jesus shows up in the midst of the storm. A very powerful scene it captured in the uh, storyline of Scripture, and for us, I think there's a takeaway, lots of takeaways in this, but I kind of want to theme it today in the midst of uh, kind of the storms of life, if you will. So how many of you would say have gone through a tough time in the last uh, y- two years? How about that? Raise your hand. Look around. Most of us have all done that. Um, yes, these last few years have been incredibly challenging, and I'll share bits and pieces of kind of some of my greatest storms that I've ever faced in my life. Um, as we kind of move through today's message. My hope is is that you're encouraged greatly, strengthened personally to live out your faith, trust Jesus just a little bit more. So let's jump into this. Well, let's talk about the idea of a storm. My wife and I, um, we make it a regular habit uh, where we get together and we read in God's Word um, almost every morning of the week. And it's something that we haven't always done. We've been married almost 20 years now. Next December, you won't see me. I'll be in Hawaii for the entire year. No, I'm just joking. Uh, we're going to be in Hawaii, though, and we're going to go celebrate our 20-year anniversary. We're going to have an uh, uh, awesome time there. Um, but for probably year 10, 11, 12, I said to her, why don't we do devotionals together, you know? And we're very two independent-natured people, and so that was a challenge for us. And uh, so we came together and we started doing devotionals together just in the mornings. And it was incredible. And what I've learned too about just my relationship with Jesus and my spouse is that it's important for me also to get time just me and Jesus. Not just me and my wife, but to just me and the Lord through reading the scriptures and all that. So however, imagine us, we're on the front porch and one of the most favorite things that I love to do is get on the porch right before a storm. And then the wind picks up and you can smell in the air where, where rain has hit the desert. The creosote begins to float through the air. You see perhaps uh, flashes of light across the sky. The wind is moving. The temperature changes. And everybody knows that a storm is coming. 
Um, there are many storms, however, though, where it's not safe to be on the front porch, that it's not safe to, to just be out and try to witness it. I grew up in uh, Texas and Arkansas where we had storm shelters, uh, where you would have bunkers built, basements built, or steel safe houses at the bottom floor of the home so that when a tornado came ripping through, you would have something to hide in. Back at the Rice Ranch in Arkansas, there's a massive steel um, case, if you will, and uh, we can fit our entire family inside of it, and we can hunker down and shelter in the event of a uh, horrific tornado that could rip through. Um, storms are a real threat. These disciples face a real storm at sea. Uh, I want to read to you a story about a group of individuals who kind of scoffed at the news of a massive hurricane that was about to hit uh, the shores of Mississippi. In Mississippi, there was a group of people that were preparing to have a, listen to this, a hurricane party. In the face of the storm, perhaps you remember, named Camille. Uh, the wind was howling outside the apartments when the police chief, uh, Jerry Peralta, pulled up sometime after dark. A man with a drink in his hand came outside of the second floor balcony and waved. Peralta yelled up, you all need to leave and clear out of here quickly as soon as you can because the storm is getting worse. But others joined the man on the balcony. They just laughed at Peralta's order to leave and they shouted back, this is my land, my home, and if you want us to leave, you'll have to arrest us. Well, the story goes that Peralta didn't arrest anyone that night, and he wasn't able to persuade them to leave either. So what he did was he wrote down the names of the next of kin of some 20 or so people who gathered there at the party through the storm. They laughed and gave uh, him their names, and they were warned over and over again, and no one left. But it was about 10.15 p.m. when the front wall of the storm came ashore. Scientists clocked Camille's wind speed at more than 205 miles per hour. It was the strongest on record, and raindrops hit with the force of bullets. Uh, waves of the Gulf Coast crested between 22 and 28 feet high. News reports later show that the worst of the damage came on the little settlement of motels and the gambling houses where the hurricane party was. Some 20 people were killed at that hurricane party in the apartments. Nothing was left of the three-story structure but the foundation alone. There was only one survivor. He was a five-year-old little boy found clinging to a mattress the following day. That's a true story. I share with you that story because I think that the reality is, is that we are facing storms in our lifetime. Maybe not physical storms like that, but around the country, around the world, we're seeing massive storms begin to hit our country and hit our world. These are called, what I would say, are signs of our times. Jesus warned about this. And he said this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 3. He says, When it's evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. 
You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. The reality is, is that there is storm clouds that are looming. People can predict weather patterns. But I say to you, we cannot ignore the signs of our times and the coming storms, I think, that we will face as Christians and uh, in our own country as citizens of this country that there are massive storms coming. So while you may have a storm going on right now in your life, I would say I think that we perhaps are on the brink of even greater intensities of storms. Just take, for example, the intensity and the frequency of the storms over the last 15 years. Um, In 2007 to 2009 was the Great Recession. It was the collapse of the housing market. Phoenix was one of the hardest hit cities in our country. How many of you would say that that impacted you some shape, form, or fashion? Raise your hand. Yes. Uh, This is when we began to start a church right in the middle of a recession. People said to us, how in the world are you going to start a a church during the recession? I said, I have no idea. Uh, But we're not going to quit and we're going to continue to do so. Um, Storm like that, it was the worst financial storm since the Great Depression. Um, Again, more recently, we've seen political storms, uh, strife and tensions between uh, political parties like we've never seen before. Um, We've seen racial storms with woke ideology and integrating into the educational system where there's an educational crisis right now. I just recently spent time with Deer Valley Unified School District with some of their leadership, and they will not back down and teach many things that I think are antithetical to the Bible in Christian living. Um, There is a storm in the horizon, I think, that is far more powerful than we could anticipate. Uh, The global pandemic, literally another storm, it changed the way we do life. It has disrupted at some level, everyone's life over the last few years. And most recently, with the war in the Ukraine and the global threat of nuclear war, as some have said, the threat of a World War III. What I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is there are storm clouds in the horizon. And for now, as a Christian, probably one of the greatest things that you can do is learn how to be strong in the Lord. Strengthen yourself In the Lord's power, his power is above all power. His word is the final word. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is the source of your life. Right now, more than ever, in the midst of a storm, you have to be strong as a Christian. And then you give strength to other people so that they can endure. You're the one who's going to be asked about the hope that is within you. And if you do not know, then you will either be, lay down and be weak, or you can rise up in the strength of the Lord and help people. Those of you that have parents right now, you are charged more than ever to raise your kids. Be the strong shepherd to guide them, to direct them. Those of you who have influences in your business, storms are coming. And you have a role, an influence, a, pl- a play to make in all of this. We can predict the storm weathers, we can predict the hurricanes, we can predict the earthquakes, but my question to you as a Christian, can you predict the coming storms? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at this a little bit closer. In the coming weeks, I will, uh, on Easter, I will uh, address a a three-week series called uh, Clarity in the Crisis. Uh, We will look at the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his promise to come back. 
And part of his coming, uh, his phrase is, is that watch for the signs, watch for my return. Somebody has asked me, uh, do, we, do you believe we are in the last days? I do believe that. I do believe that we are closer now than, more than ever to seeing the return of Jesus Christ. Could this be the generation uh, that sees the return of Jesus Christ? It, we could. We have more signs, more storms uh, looming, uh, predictions and prophecy. One-third of the Bible is prophecy. I think we should be very careful students of the Scriptures and dig in and see. And so today, while I'm not going to be addressing all the uh, current events, what I will do, however, is we're going to look at a literal storm in which Jesus' disciples encounter and how we can look to Jesus, and how we can not only survive the storm, but to thrive in the storm. So let's do this. John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. If you've got a Bible, you can open it there, and then we're going to cross-reference and look in Matthew's gospel as well. Uh, John gives a very short, detailed account um, of the the event uh, where the disciples are out at sea, and a storm hits, And then Matthew is what I would call, it's like satellite imagery. Like you can zoom in and see more details in the event of what takes place. John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21 says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. In other words, a.k.a. a storm. When they had rowed out, verse 19, when they had rowed out about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be, what? Help me out. Don't be afraid. Uh, verse 21, then they were glad to take him in because they realize it's Jesus. And everybody wants Jesus in their boat when they're in a storm, right? Like, that's the best thing you can do is get Jesus involved. So they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately, the boat was at land to which they were going. Very interesting. Uh, many commentators and theologians, pastors, teachers, preachers, kind of agree, like, there's like, kind of like two miracles that took place. One is Jesus defies natural law, walks on water, whoa. And then second, he literally like teleports the boat, boom, it goes across and immediately they're at shore. What can we learn? Three things. Number one is that storms of life, storms will come. Uh, you're going to face a storm. Uh, everybody goes through storms, storms will come. Some of you have lost a loved one. Some of you have lost financially. Some of you have gone, gone through a divorce or you're uh, going through a divorce or you're coming out of one. There's all sorts of storms that will come into our life. Some of you have been betrayed by a friend. Some of you have been abandoned by friends. Some of you have lost your job. Storms will come. This is life. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble, remember? But take heart. He says, I've overcome the world. In other words, he's above it, and he supersedes, and he's sovereign over it all. Storms will come. Maybe you're in one right now. Maybe you're coming out of one, but you for sure are going to go through one. This is the reality of life. Number two, about storms of life, just three observations. Number two, storms will take us off course. 
How many of you have ever made a plan, you feel good about it, and then all of a sudden something happens and it takes you away from your plan? It completely deters you from what you were planning to do. Storms will take us off course. When you get hit with hardship, it'll, you'll find out you have to either get creative or you get crushed. Nobody was planning on the global pandemic. And as believers, I told you, either A, you get creative and figure out how to do life, or B, you just get crushed. Storms will take us off course. But what's amazing about this is that we're not alone. Number three, storms should never be faced alone. Number three, storms should never be faced alone. You are never intended to do your, go through the storm alone. You need other people. You need the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. You need the, the help of God the Father. You need Jesus Christ in your life. You need his people, godly people in your life to navigate through the storm. If we look a little closer in the storyline of Scripture in, in the gospel accounts, we realize that Jesus puts them in the boat, literally tells them to get in the boat, but go together. He didn't separate them, isolate them. He put them together. The storm that you face now or that you will face was always intended that you do it together. You'll be stronger together. You can help one another. Um, and so let's look a little bit more with clarity in Matthew's gospel. There's kind of extra details and extra satellite imagery zooming in to see uh, this same account. Uh, when you look at the gospel, some people would say, well, it looks like it's conflicting with each other. The story doesn't seem to match up in exact detail. Um, and you're right, it doesn't. Um, and the reason why is because these are eyewitness accounts recording without kind of coordinating together the story, they're detailing the life of Jesus Christ, and Matthew gives us a little bit more detail. Just as if you were an eyewitness to a scene or an event in life, some of you have really great memory, and you would tell the, all the details, and others of you would just give the Cliff Notes version. John gave us the Cliff Notes, Matthew records uh, extra details. So let's look at chapter 14, verses 22 through 27 on the same event. In Matthew uh, 14, 22, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Notice that phrase is that he made the disciples. Now probably everybody could see storm clouds were coming. The disciples, what was their profession? What were they good at? Many of them were fishermen. They knew boats. They knew how to handle oars. They knew how to handle the nets. They were probably taught, like I was as a young boy, how to read the sky. I grew up in the outdoors with uh, being an outdoor enthusiast, and my dad always taught me, son, you've got to just pay attention to the weather because the weather influences so much of what we do. These fishermen knew very, very well what was going on. Jesus makes them get in the boat. They probably are saying, Lord, like, you know, like a storm is coming. He made them get into the boat and go before him. You're not coming, Lord? No, I'm going to stay here. I'll dismiss the crowds. You get in the boat. Jesus, you're not going to be with us? No, I'm good. Go. 
So he makes him get in the boat. Verse 23, that's a little extra detail Matthew adds. Verse 23, after he had dismissed the crowds, look what he does. He doesn't shout back to the disciples, hey, come pick me up. He went up on the mountain by himself to do what? Help me out. To pray. Let me ask you a question. What do you think he was praying about? Let me ask you another question. Do you think he knew that the storm was coming? I think he did. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Literally, they're rowing. And I uh, was a raft guide in Colorado in a rowboat. It's a very strong boat. Like, that's the strongest boat you could possibly be in rather than a paddle boat. A row means you have oars. They're rowing, or they're probably doing the back row, and they're not going anywhere because they're against the wind. Uh, in Colorado, I used to serve as a river guide, and, and uh, one of the hardest things that we would deal with was the afternoon, afternoon storms. They would come blazing through um, the, uh, that, that canyon there. And when the wind was against you, the only way to get through it is you'd have to turn around and do like a row, but do it backwards because it was stronger and you could use your thighs. Uh, these disciples literally, they're probably trading out. Peter, you're up. You know, let's, put, let's get somebody strong in here. Let's start rowing. But they're fighting the wind. And they're doing it. It, it literally was about probably seven miles wide. And it literally says that, they're doing this all night long. And it, so basically they're going nowhere. And as a fisherman who's deeply acquainted with this boat, you would be deeply frustrated and probably a little bit frustrated at Jesus. Why did he have us do this? This is ridiculous. Look at the wind that we're fighting here. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a what? It's a ghost. They're freaked out. I mean, if you saw somebody walking on water in the middle of a storm, would you be freaked out? I mean, this is not normal. Uh, Jesus hasn't done anything like this according to the gospels thus far. So they freak out. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, and Matthew records what John recorded, take heart, it is I, do not be what? Afraid. It's normal to be afraid. If you have no fear, something's usually wrong with you. Um, I found out in doing outdoors adventures and whatnot, the people that had zero, zero fear are usually the people that wind up with a documentary about their life and their stupidity of what they did do. I mean, the famous last words of a good redneck is, hey, y'all, watch this. And they're dead. <laughs> so uh, they're saying, take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. Here's what you need to know, three points. Jesus is in the storm. Jesus is there. Jesus is there. In any storm that you face in life, you need to know he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. I don't know. There, there is nobody that can do that except God. Jesus is there. He's in the scene. Literally, he physically comes in human form and he says, I'm here with you. Don't be afraid. Furthermore, what I find really crazy about this account is that Jesus knows 
Number two, Jesus knows. He knows what's going on. Let's change the slide real quick. Jesus knows. He knows what was going on. He was praying for them. He knew exactly what was going on. But Jesus knows. What you need to know in the storm that you're either in or you're coming out of is Jesus knew about it. You may be frustrated about that. You may say, well, if he knew about it, why wouldn't he do anything about it? Well, in this event, listen to me, he sends them into the storm. He told them to get in the boat. And he said, go. Some of you are going through a storm. Maybe it's something that you have no control over. You didn't plan on this. Some of us go through storms in life, right? Because we screw up. (laughs) We get in lots of trouble, and then the storm just levels us. This isn't that kind of storm. This is a storm that's totally out of their control. They didn't do anything deeply wrong. It's not like Jesus said, "Mm, I'm going to punish you because you were so little in your faith back there when I fed the 5,000. You didn't believe nothing. You didn't think I could multiply the bread and the fish. You're going through a storm. He didn't do that. It wasn't like that at all. It was another lesson, though. Some of us are going through deep levels of storms And you need to know this is that Jesus knows. He's not only omnipresent, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. When he went up on that mountainside, I'm sure he could see him for a bit. And then the storms and the, the fog and all that kind of thickened up. But Jesus can always see, always past the fog, even into the storm. I mean, Jesus knows everything. The Bible says even that Jesus knows every hair on our head. I mean, like, that's a lot of math, you know, But some of you, just looking today, Jesus doesn't have to do a lot of math looking at your head. You know, like it's not hard to count that, you know. And and I'm going bald too, so stick with me a while and I'll join you. I'll make the math easy on the Lord Jesus. Um, And my daughters always remind me of that. They're like, they call me me baldy, you know. I'm I'm like, whatever, you know. Um, but Jesus knows. He knows about the storms we go through. But I do want to help you hear this, is that the Lord knows about your storm, but he's not sending them, or you're not in them because he's trying to break you down. He's actually trying to build you up. And I think that's what's going on with the disciples here. And it's another test of faith, and the Christian life is a journey. There are wonderful high moments in life. There are deep valleys. There is calm water. There are safe shores, but then there are outrageous storms. And the question that you have to ask yourself in life is, who's the captain? Are you the captain? Are you the master of your fate and destiny? Or do you surrender it to the one and the almighty, Jesus? When he's the captain, then you're at peace. And so what we see here is that Jesus knows all these details. And number three, Jesus prays. And the Bible tells us, listen to this. Ladies and gentlemen, did you know that Jesus Christ is praying for you? Like, it's good to have a prayer team. I've, I, in this church, we've always appointed people to pray. But did you know Jesus, CEO of the world, the one who spoke it into existence, according to John chapter 1, reaffirming Genesis, Jesus Christ prays for you. 
Go look at Romans 8. I'll just paraphrase it, but basically Romans 8 says that Jesus is at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us. And because of this reality, nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. Not any trial, no tribulation, no pain, no persecution. Nothing can separate you. In other words, what Jesus is like, listen, in a family sense, Jesus is like the big brother who's always going to bat with the father about his little brother and his little sister. He's always speaking up. Don't forget him. Don't let me be the advocate. Jesus Christ is the advocate. Jesus Christ is your mediator. Jesus Christ is what puts you in good graces with God the Father. Jesus is always interceding for us. He's the representative. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. But let's get practical for a second. Let's look at this uh, gospel account in Matthew's account a little bit more and say, so what? So how should I live in light of this storm either that I'm in or that I'm coming out of or that I know that I'll be going through. Let's look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 33, closing out Matthew's account for the practical application. In Matthew 14, verse 28, and all of a sudden we get Peter. Uh, Peter's not mentioned in John's account, but here is Peter. And many of you guys love the apostle Peter because uh, he actually creates lots of drama. And some of you are a lot of drama. And some of you create a lot of trouble. Peter created a lot of trouble. Uh, and I can personally testify to this. I, I like Peter too. I had somebody come up to me not too long ago. They're like, Pastor Ryan, I love being at the church. I feel like I can so relate to you because like, you always screw up and so do I. I'm like, is it that bad? And they're like, I relate to you, man. It's like, you're not a pastor. You're just like, you just like, man, you suck so much, you know? I'm like, oh, okay, we're done here, bud. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta clean up my sermons a little bit, you know? Uh, but we can relate to Peter, right? And, and um, look what it happens, verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you. So the storms hit, they're freaking out. Lord, if it's you, command me to walk on water. Like, I think that is so cool. Like all the other disciples, dude, don't do it. Don't do it. Peter's like, go ahead, Lord. Bring me out. I've always wanted to walk on water. Imagine that. So I'm sure his friends are like, dude, this is not good. You shouldn't test the Lord your God. Don't do this. So the Lord totally meets him where he's at. Verse 29, he says, come. He called out. And when the, when the Lord speaks, um, Things happen. He spoke the whole world into existence. Later, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he says, Lazarus, come out. So the power of the word of the Lord, he speaks. He says, come, and right then, natural law broke into supernatural. So Peter got out of the boat and walked, helped me out on the what? That's not normal. That's definitely not normal. And I'm sure all of Peter's buddies were like, there must be a rock there. This is not normal. And look what it goes a little further. He starts coming towards Jesus and came to Jesus. I don't know, was he five steps away, six steps away? What if he was 50 yards away? I'd be like, woo, running across that water. He came to Jesus. He walked on the water. He came to Jesus, verse 30, but when he saw, help me out, the wind, he was what? Afraid. 
Powerful lesson there for us. We'll get to that in a minute. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Verse 32, and when the boat, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. The storm stopped. And those in the boat, they, what did they do? They worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. They believe. So three things to survive your storm. Number one is realize this, is that you always want to focus on the Savior, not the storm. So what did Peter do wrong? Peter literally, he had his focus on the Lord. He, a miracle takes place. He's walking on water, ladies and gentlemen. Um, maybe he started running because he had to come to Jesus. How far was Jesus out there? I don't know if he like appeared and he's like five foot from the boat like, hey, do not be afraid. Or if it was like, hey, do not be afraid. Probably the latter, right? It's a storm. Um, so Peter, he's focused on the Savior. He walks. He's walking on water, a substance he has no business walking on. Defies natural law. Supernatural law is now in place. He's walking on water, and he begins to move forward. And his, all of a sudden, he shifts his eyes from the Savior and then shifts his eyes to the storm. Here's the lesson for us all is that when our eyes are on the Savior, we're strong, and faith increases. When our eyes are on the storm, stress and worry and doubt overwhelms us. We don't get faith, we get fear. And what you need to know is fear will sink you. Whatever fears that you're facing, you do not want to fear. Um, you do not want to fall into living in fear. You want to live by faith. The greatest fear that we have is to please other people when all we need is the fear of the Lord. The only one we really should be afraid of is the Lord. Why? Because he's the sovereign king. He's the judge. He's the maker of heaven and earth and all that is in it. So focus on the Savior in your storm. Number two, you take the next step. Whatever that is, you take the next step. Some of you, you need to transition from, I'm just going to have to trust the Lord with my whole life. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm afraid of what would happen if I were to die today. Where would I go? Would I go to heaven or I'd go to hell? You need to take that first step and say, I place all my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's step number one. Step number two or three, somewhere down the road, maybe for you, is that you've got to realize that you need to perhaps maybe go public with your faith. You need to let other people know that you're a Christian. And that could look like placing your faith in Jesus Christ and going public with it in baptism. A, a young lady in our church named Natasha, she was on a Mexico mission trip with us, with her daughter. Um, and they uh, are incredible uh, people that have joined our church because somebody invited them. We went down there and we built the house together and Natasha, she's going public with her faith. She wants her friends and her family to know she's a follower of Jesus Christ. Some of you have never taken that step of faith. And Jesus talks about the importance of uh, living out loud your faith. That people need to know that you are a Christian. Easter Sunday, if you've not been baptized, that's your day. No better day to be baptized than Easter Sunday. After our... Uh, uh, our 9 o'clock and our 10.45, we'll be doing baptisms. 
Some of you, I want to challenge you, perhaps your next step is to tithe financially. You've never taken that step of faith before, but tithing is where you give 10% of all your income, all your revenue, everything that you have. I challenge business owners to tithe your business too. And you say, why, Ryan? I'll tell you why. Because God owns everything. He owns your skill. He owns your talent. He owns your life. He owns your soul. He owns your spouse. He owns your kids. He owns your house. He owns your car. He owns your, your skills, your gifts. Everything you have, it's all the Lord's. The Bible says everything belongs to the Lord. It's like we're like babies, like mine, mine, mine. And the Lord's like, no, no, children, children, no. It's mine. And I give as I please. But here's what God wants us to do. Jesus Christ, listen, for you, those that understand business concepts, Jesus Christ is the CEO. He owns everything, runs everything. He's the CEO. And then you are his managers. You're to steward everything that you have, all for the glory of God. Your kids, your spouse, your influence, your wealth, everything belongs to the Lord. You give your time to serve the Lord. You give your talent or your skills, your gifts to serve the Lord. You give your treasure, your financial treasure. And when you give 10%, that's representative of the whole. And we always as Christians want God's blessing on our marriage, blessings on our business. But what about blessings on our finances? So how do we do that? We honor the Lord with the first of our fruits. I want to challenge you to do that. Some of you need to take the next step and be a part of a community group. You were never designed to do life alone. And you've been doing life alone for too long. If you don't have a community of godly people, godly folks in your life, in your family's life, then you will not survive, I do not believe, the coming storm. I think the Bible tells us that there is going to be a great apostasy before the return of Jesus Christ. And what this means is there's going to be so many people that walk away from the Christian faith in the coming years and in the, in the future because they're not strong enough. My challenge to you is you be strong in the Lord. Spend time with godly people. How do I get strong? I get strong two ways in my faith. Number one, when I spend time with Jesus Christ. I'm very strong. Secondly, it's when I spend time uh, with other godly men for me. When they strengthen me, the Bible says iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The Bible tells us that uh, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more let's encourage one another as we see the final days coming. I want to challenge you to take the next step and be a part of a community. Some of you need to take a leadership role. I prayed about this one. This is perhaps a Holy Spirit guiding uh, the church, but some of you need to take a leadership role. Uh, what this means is perhaps in your business, you need to venture out and start this next department or you need to venture out and start your own business. Uh, you need to do something, whatever the Lord is impressing upon your heart, even if it doesn't make full financial sense. You need to be wise and surround yourself with wise counselors, people that can uh, counsel you or consult you so you know what you're getting into. But I want to challenge you, if the Lord is impressing upon your heart, take a leadership role. That could be your next step. Some of you, maybe God's impressing upon your heart to start a ministry in our church, in tandem with our church, so that you can make a greater difference for good. Some of you perhaps are uh, sensing God is doing something, but you're not aware. I want to encourage you to journal it down, write it down, 
and then get time with the Lord alone. And then out of that time with the presence of God and through reading his scripture and spending time with godly counsel, you lead courageously. Uh, we want to be that kind of church that empowers people to make a difference in life. Um, some of you sense that God is calling you to start a, a new season of relationships. Maybe this is a commitment to marriage. Maybe this is a commitment to be a stronger shepherd in your home to guide your kids, strengthen your kids, love and lead your spouse, that you're called by God to do something significant. Take that next step. Never before, never before do I believe that parents have ever been at such great peril with the educational system and the indoctrination that's happening in our media, even today, as you saw through these current times and events, what's happening, you have to be the shepherds. So at this church, what we will do, we will recognize that we are sheep and we follow our chief shepherd, King Jesus. We will also recognize that God's called us to be shepherds too and that there are wolves among us and wolves out in the culture and wolves all around. And you better carry a strong staff and you need to learn how to whack a wolf. You need to be strong. So number three, here's, and I'll invite the worship team up. Number three, I want to challenge you to survive the storm that you're in. It's trade out and worship instead of worry. It's normal to worry. Do not be afraid is what Jesus said. All the gospel writers write that. Some of you are going through a really hard, difficult time, and you're just worried, and you're afraid. Some of you to the point of ulcers and uh, insomnia. I can remember in the, the greatest storm that I faced was in the beginning and the making of this church. We moved out here to start the church. Right with the day before we were about to launch, one of my key leaders turned his back on me, said all sorts of false things about me. A church of about uh, 50 people, maybe. 25 of them sided with him, said bad things about me. And this is the day before we're about to start our first Sunday morning. And I remember, man, I was worried or I could worship. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to worship the Lord. This is his church. We're going to press ahead. And whoever shows up that morning shows up. At the same season and time, it wasn't over just then. I went into a, some kind of depression I had experienced chronic pain. I had hurt, a, hurt my back helping some of my buddies move into the valley to help start this church. I hurt my back really bad. And the chiropractor said, here's a little prescription for marijuana. And I thought that wouldn't look good. I can't be smoking marijuana. Um, and said, why don't you just keep coming back? And I said, no, I don't want to do that. And in that, I started losing sleep, was in insomnia for a number of years, had people praying for me, and we just kept taking those next steps. We adopted a little girl, and one of my hunting dogs attacked her. And I was terrified that the state was going to sue us and break down my family and take my little girl. And all through the storm, I had an option, worry or worship. Worry or worship. I chose to worship, even though it was incredibly difficult. And I want to encourage you, some of you are at that same crossroads in the midst of a storm. The Lord speaks to you and says, will you worship me? See, in Matthew's gospel, it records that they see all this and they worship. So you have an option, you worry or you worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are with us. 
You're omnipresent. You're omniscient. You know everything. And thank you that you're with us, Lord. In the storms that we face now, and the storms that we were even in, and the storms that we'll go through, you're always there. And so, Father, for my friends here today that have experiencing the challenge of that, might you bring comfort. Your word says that you are near to the brokenhearted and that you bring comfort and peace in the midst of it. So we receive that peace right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. You do not give as the world gives, and we thank you for that. Your peace is supernatural. We receive that right now. And Father, for those that are far from you and don't know what their eternal destiny is, might today be a day that they take that first step. They get out of the boat, they stop trying to be the captain, and they surrender. And they say, you're in charge. Might they today place their faith and trust in you as Lord, confess their sins to you, that they're in great need of salvation and believe in you the rest of their life. Jesus, we thank you that you're present with us. Strengthen us with the strength that comes through the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.